We are definitely excited about our baptism service this afternoon because it, it makes a statement when an individual gets baptized. It makes a statement saying, I serve God. I serve Him. And it is a representation of His death and burial and His resurrection. When you go down on that water, you come back up, it's representative of what Christ did for us. And it's acknowledging that and saying, you know, I believe, I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. It says in Romans that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, that's how we're saved. You know, uh, and it's a confession with the mouth. And, and after that, you know, a lot of people may ask, you know, when, when should I get baptized? As soon as you get saved, man. As soon as you can, you know, as soon as possible. As soon as you feel uh, like you're, you're, you know, you're ready and you, you're believing in God and you're believing that Jesus... Uh, paid that price, paid that penalty, and then you can go ahead and be baptized. So, like that said, maybe you weren't planning on it. Maybe you can run home, get some clothes, get a towel. We'll, we'll still baptize you this afternoon, and it's right around the corner. And, you know, I remember when I was young, uh, I don't know how old I was, six, I don't know, when I first got baptized, I decided I wanted to do it. Uh, we did it in our backyard. We had a swimming pool in the back, and it was in Massachusetts, right? And it was a little chilly. Um, I remember that. It, it was it was kind of cold uh, up in New England. It's a little colder, but there was the different ones were getting baptized, and then I said, I want to too. And so you know, I was already at home, so my clothes were already there, no big deal. Uh, and I remember remember doing that, you know, getting down, and and then doing it again later as I got older. And, and, you know, recommitted my life to the Lord. You know, I, I was born in church. That's how I, I, I grew up. And, but even though you're born in church, you know, it, it, that's not what saves you. Right? Amen. And, you know, it's not, it's not who your parents are or who your family is or anything like that. It's what you believe and it's what you confess with your mouth. And so that's why I did that again and again. I got to make sure my phone is off, just to make sure that uh, I don't have to put that $10 bill on the offering plate when it rings. So if yours is on, you can leave yours on if you want. Well, you know, it's an extra 10. You just throw in the offering plate uh, whenever it goes off, and uh, we won't hold it against you if it does ring. It happens to the best of us, right? In part one, we, we talked about three weeks ago, we'll go ahead and get started, but three weeks ago we started this series called Live Life Well. And I think it's so, so amazing how that when you read the scripture, you can just sense and you can just get that feeling that God wants us to live life well. Isn't that so true? You know, if you've, if you've read the word, you know, he wants us, especially, you know, you get into the, the Gospels and you see what Christ did and how he changed the world around him. Wherever he went, wherever he stepped, he began to change the world around him. And he was always compassionate. Everything he said, everything he did was out of love. Even when he called the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day, when he called them vipers and did all those things. So when you come across a real religious person, just point at him and go, you viper. No, don't do that. But that's not okay. You know, we can't can't do that, but, you know, Christ, everything he did, it was done out of love. It was done out of love for the people and the people that were around him, that came to him, all the ones, and he knew, 
there were some that, that you know, got around him, and they weren't really for him. How many of you ever had some people like that? You know, you get some people that are around you, and, and you know they're, they're not really for you. But then you get a lot of people around you, and they are for you. And you know that. And you, you, know, you bond with them. And, and you, you uh, build them up. And they build you up. And those are the people you want to surround yourself with as much as possible. People that are for you, that want to see you succeed in life. Just in the same way that God wants to see you succeed. He wants to see you live life well. And so in the first part, we talked about how that we finish is more important than how we start. How we finish life is more important than how we start. And that was just real good news for a lot of people who just heard that because maybe there's been a lot of things and a lot of mistakes you've made in life. But see, God doesn't care about your past. He cares about your future. He cares about your today, and He cares about your tomorrow. Yesterday is gone, and it's bye-bye. That is in the past. Just go ahead and leave your past right there and don't even consider it any longer. Learn from it, but don't consider it any longer. Don't dwell on it anymore. It's time to look towards the future because your future is bright. Amen? When you have Christ, your future is bright and you can leave your past behind. And we talked about what that means about being conformed to the world. You know, and that it's not necessarily what we may think. Yes, in, in, in the holiness aspect... We are not to be conformed to this world. We're not to sin. But we're also not supposed to be conformed to the world's ideals and their philosophies and what they, how they think. It's more how God thinks is how we're supposed to think. We're supposed to have a biblical worldview. We've heard that terminology before that we are to walk in and to see our life through the eyes of the Word of God, through Jesus Christ. We are to look and live our life according to the Word of God. Not how man would think. Because man is fallible. Man can mess up. Man does mess up. We all mess up. But God doesn't mess up. God didn't make any mistake. He didn't make any mistake when He created you and me. And He doesn't make any mistakes in His Word. There is none. Right? Or there are none. Is that the correct English? You have to forgive my English. Sometimes that wasn't my... My strong subject. I liked math, and then even that, when that got hard, it got hard. So, praise the Lord. It's just by the grace of God, right? And we're going to talk about grace today. And then in part two, we talked about last week, about really believing the Word of God and what the Word of God says. What the Word of God says about you, and what the Word of God says about me. And what He says is so awesome, because He put us here on this earth to rule in life, to reign on this earth. He put us here. Yes, the, fullness, the, the earth is his, his, the earth and the fullness of His. It's all Him. But He put us here in charge of the earth. And we proved that in Scripture. If you missed these messages, get online, take a listen to those. I established those thoughts on, on the uh, message there. When you get on churchpluggedin.com, you can take a look at those. But see, we're to rule in life and our position is one of ultimate authority. And that is because of what Christ did for us. Right? It's what Christ did. Now we are ruling and reigning with Him. Because the Scripture says that we are one, one with Him. In, in John 17, when Jesus prayed, and He was praying over the disciples, and He said, that, and he said to the Father that we may be one together. And that's what He was talking about there. So again, you can look at that in the message if you missed that. But it establishes a lot of what we're talking about when we're talking about our position 
in the body of Christ and how that we are the body of Christ. Christ is the head. We are His body. We are one with Him. It's not like Christ is over here and we're over here. You know, we'd be a headless body walking around, you know, right? That's not the way it is. We are one body of Christ. Christ is the head. We are the body. And it says in the Scripture that all things are under His, talking about the His being Christ, under His feet. Well, who's the body? That's us. So all things then are under our feet, right? We can overcome anything that is in this world because greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world, right? So all those things. So that is our position. And many times when we live life and we go through life, we forget our position. We forget who we are. And we end up saying it's just too hard and we have to give in to the things and the philosophies of the world. And we forget about the grace of God. And we're going to talk about grace this morning. In order to live life well, we also talk about the the quality. The main quality that you've got to have to live life well is to be relentless. You've got to relentlessly pursue God. I want to read this definition of relentless. It is an attitude or posture that is resolute, uncompromising, persistent, unyielding, constant, unstoppable, ruthless, the opposite of slacken, waver or concede. Now, John Bevere, here's what he says about this scripture, or about this definition, rather, of relentless. He says, if there was a need for followers of Jesus to be resolute in purpose, uncompromising for truth, persistent in faith, unyielding in hope, constant in love, and unstoppable in advancing the kingdom, it's now. God is, God is ruthless in His love and pursuit of us. It's time for His bride to reflect the same passion. So did you see that when He's talking about advancing the kingdom of God? Unstoppable, persistent, ruthless, running after advancing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, we, back in Mythbusters, the message there, we know that the kingdom of God is now, right? Okay? The kingdom of God is now, and God is the king, and He's put us here to rule over this earth. We are the subjects. He is the, he is the king. And we are to rule and reign here on the earth. In Romans 5.17, we read that they which receive abundance of grace and of gift and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So we're to rule in life. That word reign literally means rule. That's what it means. And so that's us. He's talking about us. We are to rule in this life. And that's what we talked about last week. Now this week, I want to talk about another aspect of this verse. And it's the first part there. They which receive abundance of grace. They which receive abundance of grace. And before we continue, let's pray again for a moment. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for what you did for us, for dying on the cross and raising again. And Father, we just take these few short moments here this morning to study your word, to look at what you have to say for us Lord, I thank you for changing us here in your presence. In Jesus' name. And all distractions are gone. And the church said, Amen. Amen. So, we, they which receive the abundance of grace. So we talked about ruling and reigning. But in order to rule and reign, you have to receive the abundance of grace that can only come from God. Amen. It's through Him. And then we reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. 
So what is grace? You know, a survey was given, uh, a ministry, a, a large ministry here in the United States did a, did a survey and, and, you know, of thousands of people in, in church, different Protestant churches across America. And in this survey, the question was, you know, it was all to born-again believers. And it says, give three or more definitions or descriptions of the grace of God. And, you know, the overwhelming majority defined grace as these three things. Because they said, give us these three. The majority said, number one, salvation. Number two, an unmerited gift. And number three, forgiveness of sins. And, now, you know, not necessarily in any order, but those were the three descriptions, main things that the majority, the vast majority of people said during this survey. And, you know, this is good because most Christians... You know, we need to know that we cannot earn salvation. We need to know that. It's only by the grace of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and verse 9, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, now, and the survey is also good because, it, you know, most people said about the forgiveness of sins. And in Ephesians 1, 7, it says this, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. And even in uh, Galatians chapter 5, we, we know that it says there about that we are fallen from grace when we attempt to live by our own religious standards, when we tend, attempt to live by the law and not under grace, that, you know, we are fallen from grace. And, you know, what is he talking about there, though? He Fallen from grace. When he says that word, how can you fall from grace? It's a position. You know, like we say someone fell. You know, like we, you know, the president, he, you know, years ago we had President Clinton and, you know, he finally admitted he messed up, right? He fell from the grace that he once had, right? We say that he, he, he fell. So when we're falling from grace, we're falling from a what? A position that we hold, just like we talked about last week, being that body in the head that we are there and all things are under our feet. We are ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ, reigning here on this earth. God has put us here in His stead to carry out His will on the earth. Amen? So, and you know, it's funny because with this survey, no one really talked about that position other than just 2%. 2% of the survey said that grace, in so many words, is God's empowerment. It's God's empowerment, or the ability to do. This is how God, though, describes grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, it says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And see... When we begin to look at these scriptures and we begin to understand and you look at different ones and you begin to look at Paul's writings and Peter's writings and how he addressed and he said, grace be unto you. He wasn't saying, forgiveness of sins be unto you. That's not really what he was saying. He was saying the unmerited favor, the divine influence on the heart. And what can we do? We can see that. And we'll talk about that here in a moment. But in this verse, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says strength. Strength in the Greek is dunamis. It's a force, specifically miraculous power, ability, abundance, meaning might or power, strength, mighty, wonderful work. 
You know, another version puts this verse this way. My grace is all you need, for my power is greatest when you are weak. And see, weak is inability. It represents what we can't do. It's only by the grace that we can do, that we can overcome, that we do have that power. It's only by the grace of God that we can receive the strength from the Lord. So you can see how it's more than just forgiveness of sins. Grace is actually something that empowers you. It brings you to that place where you are in a position of authority. That you are no longer who you were. You are now a new creature walking in newness of life. How do we walk in that newness of life? As it says in Romans chapter 6, we do that by the grace of God. Just like that famous phrase, by the grace of God, go I. Right? It's a walk. So it is positional. Grace is positional. It's not just the forgiveness of sins. It's a place that we are put in and given the authority by the Almighty God to live and rule on this earth. And I mentioned that you can see grace. And I'm kind of going quickly because we've got some things I really want to get to today. Some good stuff. We're just establishing right here. So grace, look at the definition. When you look it up in the Greek, there's some things there. It says, but then it says, divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in life. So you'll hear many that say that grace is the divine influence on the heart. And they'll just say those statements like that. But really, you can't say that one without this and. And, the re- and its reflection in life. Why? Because grace is something that shows up in your life that others can actually see. That's why it's so important. What good is a divine influence on the heart if nobody can see it, if it's not a testimony before God? Are you hearing me, church? So you have to have this and the reflection. So you can actually see it. That's why in Acts 11.23, when Barnabas, he arrived at the church of Antioch, he said he saw the grace of God. He was glad. What was he saying? He wasn't saying, I saw the forgiveness of sins. He wasn't saying that. He was, it's something that he can actually see because he can't see that. He doesn't know. He couldn't look around and see someone says, are, are your sins forgiven? He can't see that. Only God can see the heart, right? Only he can see in two. What was he looking around? He was looking around and seeing a group of people. He was looking around and seeing the church. He was looking around and seeing that the church was doing mighty good works for the kingdom of God, advancing the kingdom. He was looking around and seeing a people that just started to get it. That how the new, In the New Testament, right there in the Acts, the new church, they started to understand who they were in Christ, that they were no longer bound by the law, but they were now under grace, and they began to move and operate in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ, which is what we are to do here on this earth. Amen? That's what Barnabas was saying. He could see it. He could see the reflection of Christ. He could see it reflected. He could see it by how they acted, by how they moved, that they understood. They weren't one. They weren't a body. They weren't a Christian that walked around in defeat. They were one that was a Christian that walked around with victory, that was walked around with power and might. So grace is something that you can see. In John 1.16, this is how Christ introduced grace in the New Testament. He says, And of His fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. What, what an interesting scripture, and what a you know, little phrase there. Grace for grace. 
And, you know, I've done some study and did some study in a, with the Greek and uh, read some others, that, that people who actually speak the language and talked about it and, and those kind of things. And, and what they came up with, what they were saying that was really trying to be communicated here is that we are given the fullness of Jesus Christ by grace. So it is through grace. What grace does is gives us the fullness of of Jesus Christ. And see, in light of what we talked about last week, you may have just, the wheels started turning just a little bit because of our position and you understand and you know of how that we're the body and all things are under our feet. Get a hold of this right here. We have been given the fullness of Jesus Christ. Are you understanding that just a little bit? Because, see, the fullness means everything that He is. See, when I say I give, I give myself, when I married my wife, I said I give myself fully, 100% to you. You and me. It's you and me, and it's nobody else here on the earth. We're married one to another. It is covenant. It will not be broken. I will stand. You understand, right? We are the bride of Christ. We are married to Him. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have a covenant with Him. And now we are ruling around. We have a position with Him. And I have received the fullness, just like I have received the fullness of my wife. All of her attention and her affection is now towards me, not to any other man here on this earth. It's all to me. I have now received the fullness of Jesus Christ. Everything that He is, I have now received. That's good stuff. I get real excited when I start thinking about that because that means and I look at what Christ did when He was here on the earth. The Scripture says in Philippians 2, He was fashioned as a man. He humbled Himself, came down, fashioned Himself as a man, walking around, doing these miracles, and now I've got that same kind of power, that dunamis power, that strength. By the grace of God, go I. I can walk around just like Jesus did because I'm a partaker of His divine nature, and now I can do those things. I've got the fullness of Jesus Christ. I get real real excited about that because that's living life well I, these things that are here that come my way the circumstances the adversity all those things they're still going to come and they're going to keep coming but that just means i can walk right through them just like jesus walked through they were at the edge of the cliff and they were going to push them off he just walked right through them like yeah right you ain't pushing me off no cliff amen and that's me you know, and whatever the enemy tries, all I got to look, yeah, right, whatever. Because I know who I am. And that's how God wants us to live. He wants us to live life well. It's positional. Take your position in Christ. Second Peter chapter 2, or Second Peter chapter 1, rather, verse 2. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God, and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath He given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And just right there, I just He's given us all things that pertain to life. We have everything that we need to live this life successful. We have everything that we need to live this life on top. We have everything that we need to live life well. He's given us all of it. We just have to grab a hold of it. We've just got to believe it. We've got to take our position. Through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Verse 4, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, 
having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. See, we're part of that divine nature. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, it says, As He is, so, as we, so are we in this world. Just like He is. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says, He that saith he abideth in Him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. How do we do that? It's by grace. When Peter and when Paul, when he addressed and he said, Grace be unto you, what was he saying? Be endued with power, that dunamis power, that strength that can only come by the grace of God and overcome. That's really what he was saying. Be an overcomer. Step into that place. Step into that role. Walk as Jesus walked. Just like it says here, even as he walked. So now let's talk about this for a moment. How does Jesus walk? How did he walk? What did he do? Number one, he walked in amazing godliness and purity. And this is what you know a lot of people get hung up with because they read scriptures like this. Second Corinthians chapter one or chapter seven, verse one says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse, that word cleanse means purify ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And just before that, in, in chapter 6, it said, Come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and then I will receive you. I'll be sons and daughters. This is the promise that he was talking about here in chapter 7, verse 1, because he says, I'll receive you if you separate yourself. And so then we look and we say, Oh, God is holy. He is this. Okay, now we've got to separate ourselves Okay, from the world and everything that's bad and all sin and we've got to be pure and we've got to be holy. Now, that is true. But the problem is, is when we look at it and we say, okay, we've got to be holy. We've got to, uh, like it says in 1 Peter, let's read this one too. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 15 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Now this word conversation means behavior. It's not just talking about the words of your mouth. It's talking about everything you do. In the Greek, that conversation is behavior. So let's read this again and put that word behavior there. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of behavior. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And so we read stuff like this and we go, okay, well I've got to be holy. And when your definition of grace is just the forgiveness of sins, and you don't understand position, positional grace... Okay, and you just understand grace as being the repentance of God, then when the temptations come and you start to give into sin and you say, oh, okay, I repent, and then that's why two weeks later you go right back into it because all you had was repentance and you didn't really have grace. Are you hearing me, church? And that's why so often, so many times, you know, it's just like growing up in church, we were, we were taught so often, you know, be holy and don't sin and don't do this, don't do that. You know, and we, uh, we grew up in some of that. And then we come down to the altar, and I remember I would come down to the altar, God, forgive me for doing this. I just messed up. I just, forgive me. And then I would go out that week and do the same thing. And then come back that Sunday, hear the word, hear the... I just can't believe i got to come down. i got to... God, forgive me. You know, and then that next week, I'd do it again. God, forgive me. I didn't really have grace. I didn't really have the understanding. I really didn't understand who I was. 
that I have been endued with power, that I am the head, I am not the tail, and all things are under my feet. So when the temptation comes, I look at God, the enemy and I say, no, I have the grace of God. You are under my feet. See, it's the difference. that's the difference. See, every time we pray, we're not using the position of grace. We're trying to be, you know, holy in all manner of behavior like this Scripture says. But we can't do it because we're living on human ability and willpower. It's like walking around trying to do it of oneself. You can't do it. It'll work for a while, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is constantly worn against the Spirit. And to be able to be an overcomer and for your spirit to overcome, you've got to be built up in the Word of God and have an understanding of the grace of God so that you can live well, so that you can live a holy lifestyle. Because it says, Be ye holy as I am holy in all manner of behavior. Let's go back up to 2 Corinthians 7.1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse or purify ourselves. Now this may have stumped you up. This may have just like, how do I purify myself? I thought, you know, Christ, He's the one who purifies. I'm not the one who does that. What, you know, the, the thing is, is with repentance, we, we go to God and repent means a little bit more than just asking for forgiveness. It actually means to turn away from and go back no more. We make a change. But the thing is, is and we know that, and we know, okay, I'm supposed to turn my back, but we haven't been endued with power to be able to do that because of our definition of grace hasn't been one of position, of who we are, of one of authority. So when it says to cleanse ourselves, that's what it's talking about. When it says to purify yourself, it means repent and turn away from and don't go back anymore and put the devil in his place. Tell him he can go right back down there. Amen? Because that's where he needs to stay. And we can do that. We have to do that. It's something we do ourselves. That's why it says you do yourself. You actually have to command it out of your mouth and speak with your mouth. When it says in the Word in Corinthians chapter 10, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, that's something you do verbally with your mouth, taking the position and the authority that you have. When the temptation comes, you automatically start speaking the Word out of your mouth and it comes out like a two-edged sword and then you've got the victory. Amen? And so no longer am I, Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me. Then come that week, do it again, come back, pray. Oh, man, you just feel like I messed up. And get back. No more just going back and forth. It's now time to bruise the enemy's forehead with your heel. Now it's time to take your place as ruler. He put us here to rule and reign on the earth. Amen. Hebrews 12, verse 28 says, Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and holy fear. It's only by grace. And when you understand that grace is positional, and it's not something that we beg for. See, I don't come to God as a beggar because I'm already in the house. I don't come to God begging for Him, asking, God, please. I don't say the word please to God. Some of you look at me kind of funny. I don't do that. Because I've already been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. It's already mine. My son don't come in the house. When he wants water, 
He just goes, gets the water. If he comes to me and says, Dad, can I have a glass of water? I'm going to look at him, stupid, you know where it is. Get down there and go get it. What are you asking me for? You're almost 14. You ain't five no more. Get down there. Right? You know, God so many times looking at it goes, we're going, please and please, help, please let me overcome this. And I, I just don't want to give in to this anymore. You know what he's saying? Well, then just don't give in to it. Take your place. Stand on my word. You've got my word. Speak it. You're not a beggar. I don't come to God. You're my child. You're in my house. You don't have to beg me for water. Stand up. Amen? That's, that's, that's your position as a child of the King, as the child of God. God wants you to live life well. I get excited about it. Ooh, it's good. What happens when we try to live holy in our own ability. See, one of two things happens, and we're wrapping this up here. Either legalism or the unbiblical belief that grace covers all the sin I've chose, chosen to continue practicing. So we view living like Jesus as a nice goal, but one that is unrealistic. Isn't that true? That, you know, we either get into this legalism thing where, oh, I can't do that, can't do that, and we're doing it on our own, and we constantly, that's when you get that legalistic thing going, that's when you're constantly going, oh, God, forgive me, oh, God, forgive me, and you're going back and forth because you know you're supposed to be living. So you know you're supposed to be living, right? You know you're supposed to be doing this. You're supposed to be ye holy as I am holy. And that's what God says, right? But you can't because it's too hard because you don't, you know, have the position. See, when you have the position and you live in the house, it's a whole lot easier. It's not so hard any longer. Because you already know what's been given to you. You already know the authority that you have. But the other way is, and because of that, and because we've gotten into that, we get into this loosey-goosey thing that just says, well, oh well, God's grace will cover me. I'm okay, even though I'm living like this, God's grace will cover me. And that's what we do, because we've been, you know, living like Jesus and doing all that, and being as holy as the, quote, pastor and folks, I'm not as holy as you think. I'm just like you. Got the same temptation coming at me as you get on you. I get those same kind of things. I'm casting down thoughts every day. I'm casting down stuff, no, I'm putting that down. I'm not giving into that, not giving into this. Right? After a while, the enemy starts giving up on some things. It does get easier. It's gotten easier. But we're the same. The enemy uses tricks. He just tries to, he tries to get me in fear. He tries to get me to worry about things. He tries to get me you know, all concerned. He tries to get me stressed. And sometimes, you know what? I get stressed. Sometimes I get a little worried. And I, and I don't stand on the Word of God like I'm supposed to. It happens sometimes. And that's when I go. And I come to the Father and say, God, forgive me. But you know what? I, because I understand the place that I have, I can put that down and I can learn something from that and not give into that again. And I'll have to keep coming back, oh God, I'm sorry, oh God, I'm sorry. So, I don't have to live a legalist in legalism into the bondage of the legalism being under the law. I don't have to live that way. I'm under grace. But at the same time, I've got to understand that grace just doesn't just cover it all. I can't just live like I want to live. I've got to be holy before God. I've got to live pleasing unto Him. Like it said in Hebrews 12, 28. 
Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. We need to be acceptable to the Lord. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. See, under the law, we didn't have, they didn't have that position. They didn't have that because Christ hadn't gone to the cross and paid the price for those to enter into the house. See, they weren't in the house. See, but when Christ went to the cross, we became one of His. We became, we, we entered into the house. We were in a different place. Amen. Was this good, church? You know, next week we'll talk more on how Jesus walked and uh, we'll, we'll try to wrap this thing up with this series here on Live Life Well. Let's, uh, let's all stand for a moment. Let's pray. And then I've got something else for you um, to look at here on, on a video. I want to talk about that here in a moment. But let's pray. And maybe here this morning you, you have not been in a place of authority. You've not been able to take that place that, that, that God wants you to have. You've not been able to receive the abundance of grace of God. If that's you right now, if you know you like, I mean, I have not walked in that grace that you're talking about, TJ. If that's you, can you raise your hand? I'm not going to have you come down here or anything. I just want to know how many is going to agree with me and pray on this. All right, let's just keep your hands up. Church, let's all just put our hands up and let's just, you know, pray. We're going to agree and pray because, you know, there's so many times where we fall short of the grace of God, our position that we have been given. Let's pray now and, and let's get in that position right now. Father, right now, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, your word never returns void. Your word is always true. We just got to believe it. And Father, we're saying with all these hands raised right now, we're saying, God, we believe your word. We stand on your word. Lord, we are moving in a different direction. We're letting the past go behind and we are moving forward to our future. And our future is bright because of the grace that you have given us, which is that ability. Lord, I think that each one that has their hands raised in this place will begin to take their proper position in you. It's through you, it's by you, that you have given us all these things that pertain to life and godliness. And Lord, I think that we would begin to act and move on that despite any circumstance, despite any adversity that has come our way, despite anything that we're facing, Lord, I thank you that we can look to you and look to your word and believe it and stand on it in Jesus' mighty name. We give you glory. We give you honor in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.